actually down in Mexico, down in Juarez about a month ago. Uh, I flew down to, uh, to, to take money to buy the supplies to build the second house. One house we're building with Casas for Cristo, the other one is a block house that we hope we're building. We, we, we don't know what we're doing, but we're going to figure it out as we go. And, uh, uh, so I went to buy all the supplies, all the, the blocks, the cement, the, the lumber that we're going to need, the, the roofing materials. And, and, and so wh- while I was down there, one of the days we left, uh, uh Pastor Hector's, uh, church and Pastor Hector and his brother Joe and then Bob Carpenter, uh, a guy from uh, Central Christian that was there with me, we headed downtown and, we had two things to do. We were going to go downtown where, where you can exchange, uh, dollars for pesos. And we needed pesos to pay for the material. And then we we're going to go to a hardware store to, to purchase a bunch of that stuff. So, so I was driving downtown and, and it was an area I was familiar with. And I pulled up to a, a stop sign and you have to, you have to make a right and then you, a left and you're back on the main street where all the, the, the places where you can exchange money. And as I pulled up, to that stop sign, I saw a city bus coming from my left. And, and if you've ever ridden with me, uh, and my wife would be a test, would testify to this, I'm not overly patient. And, uh, so as I pulled up to that stop sign, I thought, I'm not going to get behind that bus. So I, I slowed down and then I pulled on through, uh, that stop sign. I, I came close to stopping, but I didn't stop. Soon as I did and I turned down that street about half the block down, so about from me to the back door, said a guy on a bicycle. Now that's no big deal, a guy on a bicycle, if he hadn't have been a cop on a bicycle. And, and, and as he sat there, as I, I made the corner and I looked and I saw him sitting there staring right at me, and he did this. I was hoping that was like some cultural thing like, well, I saw you do it, but don't do it again. Uh, and I thought that for a second because he didn't move. But as we got closer, he wheeled out on his bike and and pointed to the side of the road for me to pull over. So, <laughs> sharing it today, huh? <laughs> did that? Did I forget to mention that to you? Okay. So, so as I I pull over, uh, find a place. I look at Hector. And said, "Now, where am I supposed to pull over?" So I finally get pulled over. The guy comes, well, now I'll be honest, there, there was part of me that thought, maybe I can just pretend I didn't see him. And then part of me was thinking, he's on a bike, I'm in a car, I can outrun him. <laughs> it's just for a second, just for a second, okay, I'm, I, I, so I didn't do that. And, and as I pulled over, he wheels up, I roll my window down, and he walks up to my window, and I can, out of the corner of my eye, I can see him turning and looking at me. And you know what I did? I know, I know I didn't cry. Uh, I wanted to. You know what I did? I turned, and I didn't look at him. I turned and looked at Hector. Like Hector handle this. Uh, number one, I don't speak Spanish. Number two, I don't know what I need to do to get out of this. Hector, Hector, you've got my back. And, and, and he did. Hector began to talk with the guy, and the guy said something to you, at least a little bit that I understood. Asked me if I spoke Spanish. I said un poquito, just a little bit. And and uh, he and Hector talked a little bit more. Hector reached into his pocket and handed him a bill. A hundred dollar uh, peso bill, which is about five dollars, handed him a hundred dollar peso bill, and the guy they kept talking back and, and and they were laughing. So I thought, okay, I'm good here. And and finally, the guy wheeled away. Hector said, "You can go." Uh, and and basically, Hector said, uh, "You know, I, I gave him some money to buy some drinks and and some some food, and you're okay." In fact, when he left, the guy Hector was laughing, and Joe, the, the who understood Joe uh, Hector's brother, were laughing, and they said. 
I said, well, what did he say? And he said, well, he said if you get stopped again, say 2101. And if you get stopped again, just tell them 2101, and they won't give you a ticket, and you won't have to give them any more money. So the rest of the day, every time I came to a stop sign, we would just say, 2101, I can just keep on going. I didn't try that, because I didn't know if that was real or not. But, but I looked to Hector, because I didn't know what I was going to do. I looked to him to say, Hector, handle this for me. Will you stand in the gap for me right now? We're finishing our series today. Uh, from the book of Nehemiah, and and what we're going to look at is, is a strategic move that Nehemiah made that ultimately led to to their success, uh, led to them finishing the project and uh, and making it through. Dallas, I see you're here. There must not be twelve kids in nursery today. So good, good. So glad you made it up here. You guys fought over who had to come up, didn't you? <laughs> you weren't supposed to say yeah. Uh, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Look at, and we're going to look at just two verses there as, as we see this idea of standing in the gap. Verse 13 and 14. There it says, this is Nehemiah speaking, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. Now catch that. The lowest points of the wall at the exposed places posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. What Nehemiah did was position people to stand in the gap. We've seen over the last couple of weeks, over the last two weeks, that when we began to build a wall, and Nick was kind of, talking about that in, in his, uh, his devotion here this morning. When we begin to w- build a wall, when God calls us to do something for Him, whether it's a big project, small project, whether it's just a personal project in your heart, or, or whether you're joining in and being a part of a team, no matter what you do, that we are going to face opposition and we're going to face obstacles. When faced with the obstacle of an army. So if you remember from, from the text last week, if you weren't here, what they were facing was was uh, uh, literally an army was opposed, opposing them, was, was gathering, was massing on the other side of the wall. And, and so Nehemiah put these men to stand in the gap. We're going to look today at three truths for us to hold on to um, as we stand in the gap, as we find encouragement from what Nehemiah did. Here's the first one. Be, be encouraged. The truth is, uh, the, this truth is for for the one, for the, the person. And so I'm speaking directly to some of you right now. I'm speaking to you for some of you that what will be in future events. When you are called to build a wall, when God calls you to do something, when God calls you to be a part of something that, that He has put on your heart, when He's called you to a good work, be encouraged. We've been talking over the last few weeks that God is going to call us to good works. He, he, I'm convinced, is going to call our church to build walls. He is going to call us as individuals to build walls. God is going to call us to work on our hearts and build a wall, uh, a spiritual wall in our hearts. So, so catch this. If you are a Christ follower, if you are seeking to, to, to follow Christ and be sensitive to his leading, then God is going to call you to be a wall builder. If you're seeking to listen to him, 
you will build, build a wall. I find that exciting to know that God is going to call us to build walls. In fact, I know that from Scripture. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 uh, says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. The reality is that God is going to call us to good works. God is going to call us to build walls for Him. That is exciting. But for some of us, for some of us, that's scary. The, the reality is, I don't mean to be negative here at all, but the reality is some of you are going to feel called by God to do something. Some of you are going to, going to feel like God is telling you, hey, get involved in that or lead that or, or make this change in your heart and build this wall. Some of us are going to get called. We're, we're going to know that call is there. We're going to feel the Spirit speaking and we're going to say no. We're going to say no because we're afraid of the, the commitment of time. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of giving up control. Or maybe, maybe we're afraid of the inevitable, that we will face opposition and that we'll face obstacles. But let me, let me speak then to both groups. Whether you are answering the call right now, you're, you're building that wall, you're working with God, what God has called you to do, or, or maybe you're a little bit scared to do what God might be calling you to do, uh, un, unsure about doing. Let me, let me speak to the, speak to you be encouraged you're not alone Did you catch that be encouraged you're not alone oftentimes we get isolated we get separated we feel like we're the only one going through it we're the only one doing it we feel like we're all by ourselves. but the reality is we are not alone as as these workers began to build the wall and and this was nehemiah's uh, genius in his his idea to put these workers uh, that, that were holding spear and sword and bow to stand in the gap at the low spots at the most vulnerable areas. So, so as those men and women began to, to build the wall, stone by stone, they were placing the wall there. They were looking out beyond the wall and, and they were seeing an army. Man, that's got to intimidate you. That's got to think, man, there's so much that can go wrong. There's so much bad can happen there. But as they did that, all they had to do, all they had to do was look behind them. And they saw someone standing in the gap. They saw someone standing there to protect them. Uh, now, now I want you to note when this happened. This, this happened immediately after great success. If you, if you're there in Nehemiah, look at, at verse six of chapter four. So we rebuilt the wall till it reached, uh, till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their hearts. So, so they had just, had just had an exciting time. They were, they were celebrating the fact that the wall building was going well. They'd got it up to about half the, the height. There. Everything was go, going good. But note this, the greatest discouragement sometimes comes on the hills of great success. Our greatest discouragement comes immediately following great success. Nick, again, thank you for that meditation. It's like you saw my notes or something. Uh, it always comes after great success that, that, that we're, we're struck down and we feel like, oh man, things are going to happen. They, they just got the wall about halfway done. Man, they are, they are humming along. And then they look out and there's an army. I, I mentioned last week, I started my sermon out by talking about my son, uh, Joel, and, and his wife, Heidi, uh, had, had just found out that week, last week, that they were uh, they've got their court date. They're going to go uh, in uh, uh, in or in. When they go August, yeah, going to go in August and uh, and meet their son Thomas that they're adopting from South Korea. They're going to meet him for the first time and do the court day to get all that preliminary stuff done. They'll have to come home and go back a month month later. So 
They just got this exciting, wonderful news. And you know what they were hit with almost immediately afterwards? They were hit with discouragement. Um, I've debated on, on how much to say, but I don't think anyone's going to know this. So I, I'm just going to kind of let you know who it is. I, I, I referenced it a little bit last week in state. Should I not? Should I not? Okay, I won't. My wife's the better of me. I shouldn't have looked her way. Darn. Uh, but, but, but they had, they had some, a, a family member speak discouragement into them right after they found out that they, they had the court date. Right after they found they were going to pick up their child, someone, someone that they were, were hoping that, that would help them through that process. Um, basically said no. Right on the heels of success, right on the heels of a, God, you, you're, you're getting us where we need to be. They, they were struck down with discouragement. Um, but, but you know what happened? They turned around and they saw that there were people standing in the gap. Uh, one of those happens to be the, the lady that wouldn't let me tell you the details I want to tell you was my wife. Cause, cause Heidi called, called Rita to let her know about it. And, and Rita was like, what can we do? And, and so we're going to keep the kids almost all that time that they're gone. The problem is they start school right in the middle of, of their trip to South Korea. So, so we're gonna, we're gonna have them. We're gonna take them back to Springfield for three days of school. I'll drive back to Springfield and pick them back up. So they're home when, when Joel and Heidi fly back into Kansas City. And, and, and so that discouragement was wiped away because they looked behind them and there was someone standing in the gap and said, you know what? You, you can trust me. I'm, I'm there for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you out. They, they also here just this last week had a, had another person step up at their at their church and and did a fundraiser for them. They still have to raise uh, a little, you know several thousand dollars more to to make the adoption happen or at least to pay for all the cost of it. And and a friend of theirs stepped up and and started a fundraiser to to sell cards. I put it on Facebook and I've had several people in the community say, "Hey, we'll buy some of those cards." That's kind of been a pain to get it done, but 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 other people have stepped up. So so what Joel and Heidi fit we're met with discouragement and look behind them and there's someone standing in the gap. What you need to understand, what, what, what I'm getting at here, uh, that, that you have to know this truth is be encouraged. You're, you're not alone. Uh, hold Nehemiah open there, but turn over to 1 Kings. Go, go back towards the, the, the start of the, the New Testament, a few books to 1 Kings. Uh, I'm going to just briefly tell a story. You guys are probably very familiar with parts of this story, but the story of the prophet Elijah. Elijah was a great man of God. He was a prophet. I mean, he, he was in tune with God and done, had done great things. In fact, uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel earlier than, than, uh, than the story I'm going to share had, had won a great victory. He had, he had spoken the word and got, and fire came down from heaven to destroy the altar. And, and he, he just won an unbelievable battle, uh, a battle there and, and was, was at the height of success. And, uh, and someone spoke discouragement. Someone wanted him dead. And Elijah got scared. Look in, uh, chapter 19 of 1 Kings, verse 3. It says there, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. God, he called down fire from heaven and God destroyed the altar that he had poured water on. And someone speaks discouragement and he's running for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. How, 
How did he go from Mount Carmel to sitting under a broom tree saying, God, I'm worthless. I've not, I've not accomplished anything. I'm no better than my ancestors. Someone spoke discouragement. But God said, you're not alone. Look, look with me, if you will. And if you will, take some time, read that rest of that chapter. But I'm going to just buzz down to verse 18. This is one of the encouragement that God gave him. He said, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah felt like he was alone. And God said, look, there's 7,000 standing in the gap. There's 7,000 hanging on along with you. Be encouraged. You're not alone. Truth number two, be engaged. Nehemiah, Nehemiah got people to, uh, to, to, to stand in the gap. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how he did that. Uh, I'm not sure how he got different ones to, to go stand in the gap with sword and spear and, and, and bow. Did, uh, did he walk around and appoint them? Did he walk around and say, well, he's a big guy. Will you stand in the gap? And uh, he's kind of scrawny. I don't want him. But he, you're a big guy. You'll stand in the gap. You're a big guy. You'll stand. <laughs> Farmer here. He's a, he's a tough guy. We'll have him stand in the gap. I don't, maybe he did that. But you know what I think he did? I think what he did is he just laid it out and said, hey, guys, here's the deal. There's an army there, and we need volunteers to stand in the gap. Now, now you're not just going to stand in the gap. You're going to still build the wall. You're still going to do a shift on the wall. But but when you're not working on the wall, you're going to stand with bow and and sword and and spear, and you're going to stand in the gap. And I wonder what they, I wonder what they thought. There had to be some of them there thinking like, no way. There were probably a couple big guys thinking like, I don't have any training. There's no way I can stand in the gap. But I also have to believe there were a couple guys, a couple guys that were sitting there thinking, you know, I can, I can do this. I can do this. But you know what they all knew? They'd never done it before. None of them had training. None of them had, they hadn't been a part of a, an army. They didn't know what to do. I, uh, I love to watch, uh, one of my favorite shows used to be Cops. But my favorite show now is What's my favorite show, Rita? <laughs> I thought she just hanging me out to dry. My favorite show now is Live PD. Any of you guys watch that on A and E? Oh, seriously. Okay, it's okay to raise your hand. Besides Rita, see if you if hey if you haven't watched it, Friday Saturday nights on on A and E. Live PD, greatest show ever. Uh, we we watch it religiously. I've got my kids all hooked up with it, and they're all watching it now. I won't go on to explain it because really it doesn't mean anything. But but I love to watch these cop shows, and and you know what I noticed from the cop shows? Now I've never I'm not a cop, uh, never never been through the training, but the one thing that I that I can figure out by watching, and I think I've heard heard people say this too, is that that cops when they when when they go into a situation, they th- their job is to try to look at least a little bit menacing. So so when they walk in, they walk in a certain way. They you know they stand a little bit broader. They pull their shoulders back. Uh, now a lot of them will have those those uh, uh, bullet tube vests on, and they'll they'll hook their fingers in the side of that and stand like they're just trying to present that like, hey, I am big and menacing. Now now the goal is don't look like Barney Fife when you walk up there. You want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So you want to look you want to look tough. You want to look menacing. 
and, and so I'm sure Nehemiah must have done a crash course on, okay, th- guys, this is how you do it. I know you don't even know how to shoot an arrow or throw a spear, or, and, and you have no training on sword, but, but look tough. So, see, we are called, we are called to be engaged because we're needed. Do you, do you realize that you're needed? This whole idea of being called is the reality that God is calling for us to stand in the gap. Some of these guys had to think, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I can't do this. I don't have the training. But Nehemiah said, you know what? Stand in the gap. When God calls you, whether it's today, next week, next month, a year from now, when God calls you to build a wall, whether it's some big project that, you, that that's going to take a lot of effort, or, or maybe it's just a small thing that deals with your heart, when God calls you to build a wall, when God calls you to step in to build a wall, when, when God calls you to join others who have been called to lead something, he wants you to be engaged because you are needed. There are so, so many ways that we can step into the gap. There's so many gaps, church, that we need to step into. I, uh, I don't want to embarrass, but I, 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 um, I, I, I see so many people that are doing it. I, I look at uh, Carrie and Bobby who are... Um, are crazy. You guys are crazy, okay? You you know that, right? But they're they're stepping in the gap for three three little kids that have never known security, have never known consistency, have never known love, have never known family, and and they're stepping into a gap, saying, <laughs> "We don't know what we're doing." And you know, Carrie mentioned, you know, when those little kids graduate, you know, they're going to, Bobby's going to push her in a wheelchair down the aisle to the, probably, but, but they're standing in a gap. You know, I mentioned earlier, Caden's closet, and uh, we, we had a couple young girls come by this week and, uh, and shopped, a couple teenage girls that, that are in foster care in Hiawatha, and they got to go upstairs and, and, and came down with some neat clothes, and they, they tried the stuff on, and they were excited. I think Katie was there with them. Katie was uh, was was excited for them because they were trying on clothes that they were going to wear to church, and they got shoes, and, and and they were thrilled. It's the second time they've been there, and they were excited about it. And and that only happens because some people are standing in the gap to make that happen. See, God calls us to stand in the gap. Now, 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 what is that? For some of you, that may just be a prayer. Jeannie, thank you for praying today. That. That to me is standing the gap. I was encouraged by that prayer and your your words of encouragement. Maybe maybe standing the gap is just speaking uh, truth into someone's life. Maybe standing the gap is is just your presence to su- support someone or 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 supporting them with finances or, or or resources. Maybe maybe you standing in the gap is you joining in with someone and say, you know what, you are called, and I see your passion and vision, and I'm going to join in with you. I. I I don't know what it, what it might be, but God is calling us to stand in the gap because we are needed to do that. Uh, David, or Dr. Ted Kirst tells a story about a guy named Pat. He said there were a group of men at their church that had gathered together. It was just before Christmas and, and, and they were talking at a men's meeting and they were talking just about Christmas and what their kids wanted, what they were going to get for their kids and just in conversations, one of the, 
one of the dads, one of the young, young dads that are named Gary, just made the comment, well, my kids really want a swing set, but you know, things are kind of tight and we're just not going to be able to do that, so we're going to do this and this and, in, instead. And um, The next day, or it's a couple of days later, I guess, Kirst said he got a phone call uh, from Gary, and Gary said, hey, hey, Pastor, do you, do you remember me talking at the men's meeting the other day about needing a swing set? And Kirst said, you know, he had kind of heard it, said, but he said, yeah, yeah, I remember. He said, I got home from work today and there was a swing set in my backyard set up, had been delivered and put together and was there. Do you know anything about it? And Kirst was honest. He said, I have no idea how it happened, but praise God. But, but he thought he might know. So, so Kirst said he called his friend Pat, who was at that meeting, and said, Pat, I just talked to Gary, and do you know anything about a swing set? He said the line went real quiet for a while. And finally, uh, uh, Pat said, uh, don't tell him. Don't tell him who did it. Uh, sometimes God calls us to stand in the gap in small, simple ways like that. Sometimes God calls us to stand in the gap when we, when we see a need that's there. I'm going to use my wife again. I'm trying to build up a little bit of equity uh, with her, so say some good stuff. So, so you guys are mad at me when I kid her and give her a hard time. Remember, I said some nice stuff too. Um, we, we, we went over to some, some friends' house, a, a couple in our church when we were at Rushville, Sam and Robin. Robin and, and Sam were good friends of ours, and, and uh, our, our, a couple of our boys had grown up with their boys, and, and uh, one of my sons had played football and basketball with, with them, and, and, and they, were, they were just a great couple. But Robin had battled, I don't know, for uh, 10 years, 12 years, battled with breast cancer. Started out breast cancer and then, then metastasized to other places in her body. And, and, uh, and I, I remember when her older son was a few years older than my oldest boy was, was a, a senior in high school. Her goal was just survive long enough to watch her son graduate. Um, and she did. In fact, she survived long enough to watch her younger son graduate as well and watch her son be married uh, and have a grandchild. But, but Robin's condition went sometimes good, sometimes bad. And she battled and battled and battled. And towards the end, she was losing her battle against cancer. And it had spread to her brain and was affecting her personality. And, and you'd go see her, and the same Robin that we knew and loved wasn't there anymore. She could still communicate, but, but she was very forgetful and starting to have some real physical problems and emotional problems and, and personality problems with that. And we stopped by to visit them one time. And while we were there, and, and, and I'm sorry, I'm saying that while we were there, she had an accident. Um, and by accident, I mean she soiled herself. Um, and, and like I said, she kind of wasn't, she was like, oh, I, you know. And Sam kind of, it was obvious it had happened. We looked at each other. I looked at Sam. Sam looked at me. <laughs> Sam looked at Rita. And I'll never forget my wife taking Robin by the arm and said, come on, Robin, let's go get you cleaned up. And she walked into the bathroom with Robin and, and stripped her down and put her in the shower, whatever she did. I didn't go in, obviously. And, and cleaned her up. But all I could hear is Rita's voice from the bathroom, just speaking soft and tender and laughing and giggling. I, I was two rooms away and I could smell the smell and I can't imagine what she was going through. But, but I know Sam, I, I don't know that Robin really understood what Rita did for her, but I know Sam looked at Rita and thought, man, man, you're standing in the gap. And I think with this same person, with Robin, there's another friend of ours, Vicky. 
uh, Vicki Sampson, who every week for 10, 12 years, whatever it was, every week without fail sent a, sent a card to Robin to say, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about you, let me know if you need anything. Be engaged. Be engaged. You definitely are needed. And, and finally, let, let's finish, let's finish today, let's finish this series with this one simple thing. Be empowered. Be empowered. We are His. See, you belong to God. You're, you're His, which means that God is standing in the gap for you. No, no matter what comes your way, no matter what He calls you to, no matter what wall-building job God has for you, do you understand that, that you have Him standing in the gap? For you? Do you notice what Nehemiah said? It said, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. God is standing in the gap for us. Let me, let me close with this story. His name was Ben. Ben Gonzalez. I, I don't know how my sister met Ben. Uh, one of my older sisters, Deb, met him at a conference or a youth rally somewhere uh, and, and befriended him. And, and so, so a couple different times when I was in high school, freshman, sophomore in high school, Ben Gonzalez came from the south side of Chicago down to southern Illinois where, where I lived to visit with our family. The first time, Deb was there and he visited with Deb, but second time, just came down to visit with our families. And I remember being really impressed with Ben Gonzalez. He was from the, the, the hard streets of south side of, uh, of Chicago. And, and his life was, was nothing like mine. And I remember sitting, my brother and my sister and I sitting at almost at his feet listening to his stories because man he had some stories he he really had two choices as he was growing up join a gang or 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 what he eventually did was was become a Christ follower and and join the church and but but he would tell these stories of the things that he had seen and things he had done and things that had happened to him and and man we just sat there it's like I can't believe now now I grew up in Woodlawn Illinois southern Illinois now, we had gangs, kind of like Troy, I bet. We had gangs in Woodlawn, a, a town of about 300. We had a gang that was called the Lee Ryder Gang. Have you heard of it? Any of you? No? Well, it's been a long time ago. Uh, you know, if you look in the history books, Google it. Lee Ryder Gang in Woodlawn, Illinois. It was a bunch of guys that all wore the denim jackets, the Lee Ryder denim jackets. They'd stand on the street corners of Woodlawn and smoke. <laughs> that was my gang uh, affiliation, or not affiliation, but... Uh, but but understand so so when Ben told stories of uh, of 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 all the stuff that he had seen and done and had happened to him, man, we just sat there and, and ate it up. And I, I remember one story in particular that Ben told us. He said they were driving home from church one Sunday night, and and he accidentally cut someone off in traffic or did something, and the person got upset. So they they flew. Ben said he was driving. They flew past him and and pulled in front of him to block him, and the guy got out of the car and started huffing and kind of yelling and cussing at him and started just slowly walking back to his car. And Ben, ben said, I, I was driving, I, I put the car in park and I stepped out of the driver's side. And Ben was about 5'3 and weighed about 100 pounds. He said, I stepped out and I kind of, kind of stood there. And he said, my younger brother, who was smaller than me, he got out of his, his side on the passenger side. And he got out and he kind of stood there like that too. And then all of a sudden the guy stopped Barking at him, stopped cussing, stopped threatening him, and hey, no, no big deal. Got back in his car and pulled away. 
I'm looking at Ben like, well, what happened? Did, did you pull a gun? You know, I'd heard him talk about that. And, you know, did you have a knife? Did you, did he see your scars? What, I mean, what happened? Ben just kind of smiled. He said, well, the guys in the back seat got out. He said, the two guys in the back seat were about 6'2 and about 250, 300 pounds. And, and so when they got out and stood behind me, the guy saw them. What he was saying, in essence, was there was someone behind me. There was someone standing in the gap behind me who was bigger than me. Where, where maybe I couldn't handle the fight, maybe I couldn't handle that, that guy that was coming against me, the big guy behind me could. And, and isn't that what we see in, in Nehemiah's story? That God empowers us. When he calls us to build walls, he empowers us by standing behind us and giving us the victory. Would you pray? Father, we thank you this morning that you promise to use us, that you expect to use us, that, Father, you somehow trust us enough to call us to call us to build walls, to call us to stand in the gap for other people, uh, to stand in the gap in, in needs in our community, in our, our country, in our world. Father, we thank you that you entrust that to us. And, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can look behind and we know that it's not just us. It's not by our power or our might or our strength, but the victory comes from you. Father, help us this morning to be encouraged that when we're working, when we're building, we're not alone. There's other people right there with us that are standing in the gap for us and with us. Father, help us be engaged to know that you that we are needed and that you can use us and empower us to know that you're there in Jesus' name.